it's very possible that you've heard of a concept called the five love languages, uh, originated by Dr. Gary Chapman. It is a tremendous tool for understanding people. And today we're going to talk about how the five love languages can help you in your blended family. I'm John Fuller, along with Greg and Aaron Smalley. They lead our marriage team. And I wonder, certainly the two of you know your love languages. I think we've probably talked about them here, but what are they? Uh, real quick. Greg's are words of affirmation and quality time. Yeah, and Erin's, she loves gifts. <laughs> so any gift that I bring her, oh, that just does it. But also acts of service. Mm. If you're sitting there doing something and, <laughs> hey, I would love, you know, a drink of water. and, and you, you think know, it, he makes it happen. And he then, does. And then she yeah. follows with a snap, snap, snap yeah. of her <laughs> I fingers. I <laughs> No, and, that, and that's good to know, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, the other day, Aaron sent me a text and was just affirming me as a dad, something that she noticed that I did with one of our kids. It's amazing when she affirms me how instantly I'm reminded of how important that is. I mean, I just melt. Mm. Like it doesn't matter if I was maybe mad at her for an earlier interaction or whatever. Man, the moment that that happens, it just made my heart just is wide open. I just lean in. Talk about connecting when Mm. we really understand these love languages. Well, you painted that picture so brilliantly. I could sit and listen to you for hours, Greg, as I'm just trying to (laughs) affirm you. I know. I felt it. Yeah. I'm I'm done. I'm leaving. Let's go ahead and hear from the guy that started this whole idea of love languages, Dr. Gary Chapman. And uh, he's joined by Ron Deal. Uh, Together, they are passionate about helping families. You'll hear that as they offer hope to blended families. Here at Focus, we're all about great marriages. That's what we want to create. I saw a statistic the other day, and we're talking both first time married and, you know, there may be death of a spouse. There may have been adultery. Who knows why a person is divorced and remarried? Um, But we're saying you've got to now work on that marriage, right? Mm -hmm. But I was shocked at some of the social science coming out right now. When you Mm -hmm. look at these three factors, which is the most important to success? Marriage, race, education. Hmm. It's marriage Mm -hmm. by a long Mm -hmm. shot. Mm -hmm. Marriage is a better predictor of uh, staying out of poverty than in any of those other three. Isn't that amazing? It is. And I'm grateful for it because that's what we fight for each and every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But staying in your marriage and fighting for it and making it the best it can be is your best hope for a good life. Yeah. And I think sometimes because they've gone through a divorce, many of them, not all, because some is a death of a spouse that, sure. that brought them to a blended family. But I think sometimes because of that, they really are highly motivated uh, to make this second marriage work on the other hand, when it gets to be really, really frustrating, they may be quicker to give up as well. Right. And that's one of the things we're saying in this book is don't give up. We understand it's going to take time. You have to be patient, but it's going to work. Stick in there. It's kind of the equivalent of going back to your crock pot and going, it's been two hours. Come on, food. What's going on? Don't make a crock pot a microwave. Exactly. Yeah. You can't. It's not an Instapot. Well, let's get to that because that patience factor is really critical. So you've got to be patient is what I'm hearing yeah. you say. And that can be frustrating at times. I think impatience can be the root of a lot of problems in marriage. And so adjusting your expectations is really helpful. It's not that you're a failure, you've done something wrong, you've, you, we should have never done this. It's not any of those things. It's this is a journey. It's just a little longer to get there than we thought, and we need to continue to press in, but do so with 
a lot of smart, a lot of wisdom. For example, what does patience look like? So for a step parent, one application would be that I change my expectations so that if I do something kind for the child, I'm not necessarily living with the hope that they're going to turn right around. I loved you with your love language. You're going to love me with my love language, right? Now, that's a blender expectation. A crockpot expectation would be, no, I just lead with love and I do what's right by you. And I'm praying and holding on that someday uh, you might feel comfortable enough to return that to me. And I don't mean to be simplistic with this, but you're the adult in the room too. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if you're dealing with younger stepchildren, you need to demonstrate what it means to be unconditionally loving, right? Yeah, yeah. For them to understand it. You brought up the love languages. So Gary, whenever you're here, <laughs> we're having you give us the quick tutorial on the five love languages. A brilliant concept, by the way, <laughs> that the Lord laid in your heart. How many years ago? Oh, the book came out originally, the original book, 1992. <laughs> and it's sold like a bazillion copies. <laughs> yeah. and uh, But it, it was, it was one of those, you know, occasionally an author really hits a theme that everybody... Uh, connects to and people have connected with love languages because you observe something and put it down in writing and describe those uh, five love languages yeah, well you know the basic idea is that what makes one person feel loved will not necessarily make another person feel loved and that's true whether it's a blended family or a biological family and so what we discovered is that there's fundamentally five basic ways to express love on an emotional level so that we meet that deep emotional need of adults and children to feel loved. Uh, one of them is words of affirmation, you know, just positive comments about them, the way they look, something they've done, anything, but you're just giving them positive words. All of us appreciate that. But for some people, that is what makes them feel loved. Can I ask you a quick question on that? For a person whose love language is that or any other, if you provide the antithesis, does that cut deeper? Absolutely. I'm just thinking of my wife, Jean. She is yeah. a word of affirmation yeah. person. And if I say something negative, it seems to wound her so deeply. Yeah. Not even on purpose, you know, I'll just say something. But is that true so that counter comment can go deeper and wound absolutely more it hurts them more deeply than yeah. would hurt someone else when that's true whether it's an adult or whether it's in a child huh. and in a step family this is really important to know that if your child stepchild is words of affirmation and you use negative harsh words condemning words it really strikes at that uh, person yeah so one pound is ten pounds yeah that's, absolutely yeah. and then another love language is acts of service doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do and in a marriage, that's such things as cooking meals and washing dishes and vacuuming floors and walking dogs and changing baby diapers. <laughs> <laughs> to a child, that's a lot of other things that you do for them. And uh, you know the old saying, actions speak louder than words. If this is your love language, that is true. Actions will speak louder than words. And then there's quality time, giving the person your undivided attention. And I don't mean sitting in the same room watching a television program. I'm talking about the TV's off. We're looking and talking to each other. Yeah. And if you're talking to a child or a stepchild uh, and you're having a conversation with them and your phone rings and you answer the phone, you just said somebody out there is more important than you. Mm -hmm. So quality time is really important if that's their love language. And then there's gifts. Universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says they were thinking about me. Look, look what they got from me. And the gifts don't have to be expensive. 
whether it's for an adult or for a child. Uh, it's the thought that counts. But I remind people, it's not the thought left in your head that counts. Mm-hmm. It's the gift that came out of the thought in your head, okay? <laughs> and then number five is physical touch. And we've long known the emotional power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies, hold them, kiss them, cuddle them. Long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love by physical touch. And for some people, physical touch is their language. So understanding this concept that each person has a primary love language will help the step-parent know how best to express love to that stepchild. If you don't, you'll probably just speak your own language and wonder why it doesn't work. Aaron, you are a counselor and you spend a lot of time with people. I'm sure that you've seen, um, let's call it the use of the five love languages within a family that's struggling, that that's been really beneficial. It always amazes me, John, because the love languages are known across Christian circles, non-Christian circles, Christian couples, non-Christian couples. And I'm always amazed when it comes up and the difference that it makes when one or both start pursuing each other in the ways that they feel most loved. And it it's such a simple concept, but it makes a profound impact because I think about like I go through all this training and continuing education to learn new skills and tools for working with couples and families and then I realized that really like the love languages make an impact Mm -hmm. and it just always boggles my mind. So I think that people feel so loved and valued when someone makes the effort to first of all, know what their love language is, but then also to carry that out. And, you know, one of the deepest longings in the human heart is to be seen and known. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine a better way to be known than to have your spouse love you in a way that is specific to you. And that's so helpful because that that your point, Aaron, is that that typically I would I would want to do things for you, love you in ways that that I like. Right. So when I invite her to sit down and watch a football game, it always amazes me that it just doesn't do it for you. You know, yeah. she but clenched when her understand. teeth as you said that. <laughs> when you when you say, you know what, I have this gift here for you that you could unwrap while we watch a football game, I would oh. say, I'm there. I didn't think about that. Well, All right. you are. That's a, that's a, that's a report good Report back to us. Or, Let us know how that worked. Or I'm going to cook dinner while we watch the football game together. Oh. All right. Yeah. See, this is helping me. You know, I know there's there's a way in which that when you use the five love languages as a, as a language within the family, what it does, it creates identity and, and, and it bonds people closer together. It, it really does create a tradition. Just seeing our kids, our, our married kids, and as they talk about that, and, you know, this is how he wants to be loved, and here's my love language. It just shows just that, that common language and what that can do for a relationship. And so that's why we're so grateful that Gary Chapman really came up with that idea. Although I have talked to him, John, and told him yeah. that there really is a sixth so it's mm-hmm. not really five that he should add kind of practical jokes as, as a <laughs> six yeah. in humor that, that that's how I love to be loved. That would be a love language for me. And I don't know what the deal is. He will not change it. Yeah, it's notice, like he's I'm sure he didn't talk about the six love languages when he was here. Well, I know I thought the sixth one was if you're a teenager, you love to eat. 
a oh, teenage boy that especially, be, right? That, that could be another one. Well, See, regardless, yeah. let's these, rewrite this book. Yeah. Okay, we'll we'll do our own five <laughs> love languages. It'll, it'll be way different. <laughs> the seven love languages. Yeah. The 42 love languages. We'll make it so complex nobody will buy exactly. it. Exactly. We'll just let Gary have the glory. Seriously, though, millions have, uh, yeah. uh, millions of those books it's have sold. Good. It's It really is a wonderful framework. It's not a solution. It's a framework for mm-hmm. you to have uh, really meaningful conversations and uh, behaviors in your relationship. Uh, Make a donation of any amount to the Ministry of Focus on the Family today, and we'll say thanks for joining the support team by sending a copy of the book by Dr. Chapman and Ron Deal, Building Love Together in Blended Families. Um, It's very encouraging. It does weave in some of the five love languages as well. If you'd like to learn more, kind of the basics, uh, we've got an article called Understanding the Five Love Languages. We're going to link over to that. Uh, Details about these resources and donating to Focus on the Family are in the episode notes. And next time, we're going to hear from Rosie McKinney as she offers hope on healing after a problem like pornography has been confessed in the relationship. I'm John Fuller, and on behalf of Greg and Aaron Smalley and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for the Focus on the Family Marriage Podcast.